This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. I have a special offer for listeners of this show. And if you are a super fan, you want to take advantage of this offer. So who doesn't want to be part of an exclusive club? I've started a private group for my listeners of this show on patreon.com slash on the touchline. Now there's limited space available. The first 24 listeners to sign up for this offer have a chance to be part of an exclusive question and answer session once a month with a guest from this show. You're going to want to act fast. $10 per month will get you access to this special event. Now think about it. That's more affordable than paying for a space to play pickup soccer. The benefit to you, you get to learn and interact with coaches, players, and influencers in the game in a smaller setting. And who doesn't like a little personal attention? Go to patreon.com slash on the touchline and learn more. That's patreon.com slash on the touchline to learn more. Duke Tig Brand is offering listeners of the show 10% off their next order. To learn more, go to duketigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com, and upon checkout, use the promo code Broadwater19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. Enjoy 10% savings today. My guest in episode 29 of On the Touchline is Matt Danaher, and Matt is the founder and creator of the Soccer Pulse app. So after a playing career that included playing in the U.S. Soccer Federation Development Academy, playing NCAA Division I soccer for four years, the Premier Development League for three years, and playing abroad in Ireland as well as in Germany, Matt wanted to create an app that could be used by coaches and players to track how they were feeling on a daily basis. He goes into detail how the app actually works and why soccer is really an art and a science. And a lot of the work that he does speaks to the science side of understanding the game. So when used correctly, Soccer Pulse changes the way coaches prepare for sessions by making it clear which days should be used to have a demanding session and which days it's necessary to back off and have a recovery session. Above all, Matt's goal when creating the app was to raise the standard for the level of coaching that players deserve, to help them avoid injuries and allow players to get the most from their training. So he talks about all that in this episode. We also rewind a little bit and talk about playing abroad in Ireland as well as Germany, what his collegiate experience was like as well as his youth soccer experience growing up in Connecticut. I hope you enjoy episode 29 with the founder 
and creator of the Soccer Pulse app, Matt Danaher. Nothing good has ever happened without hard work, right? I mean, I'm sure you're working a crazy amount of hours and putting a whole lot of time in to, to make it successful. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I, as I was thinking about today's conversation, Matt, if I thought that I would lead with this, but um, let's just jump right into Soccer Pulse and, and tell the folks about that. And then maybe we'll kind of rewind because, uh, yeah, I would love to go back to your youth experience and your collegiate experience and... There's something that I had read, um, something you had wrote, I think, from a while back of, uh, you know, uh, maybe after your freshman year of college and, um, you know, how basically waking up early, doing wall kicks and beast mode soccer. And so we'll yep. jump in, jump into all that. Um, but yeah, tell folks a little bit about Soccer Pulse and, and what it actually is and, and how you came up with this idea uh, to uh, help teams and players out there. Yeah, for sure. So to talk about the app, I'm going to have to go back and kind of talk about myself a little bit, which I don't really like to do. Um, but I really got involved uh, in soccer when my dad uh, came back from Manchester uh, when I was seven with a Manchester United uh, jersey. So I grew up watching all of Sir Alex Ferguson's teams. Um, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo was my favorite player. Uh, you know, I was I went out and bought hair gel exclusively because Cristiano Ronaldo had the coolest hair. And I was like, I want to look like that. That's fantastic, and, by the way. <laughs> and I, I do not have Portuguese hair, so it didn't really work for me. Um, but, you know, I would I'd watch these games and I would, you know, I'd want to replicate what he was doing. So, you know, he had like the Ronaldo cut. He had the, you know, the free kicks that he would take. Um, and so during my youth playing, I was a I was a winger. Um, which is perfect because I was like, okay, you know, here's my favorite player and, you know, I'm trying to translate what he does. Um, and then as I got older, um, I kind of transitioned into being an outside back. Um, so that's where I played. Uh, I played one year in the development academy um, before I went to college. Um, and that's really where I played most of my minutes uh, in college. And then overseas was at outside back, so left back uh, or right back. And it worked for me because when I got forward into the attack, you know, I was the kind of player who, you know, because I used to play on the wing, I was, you know, totally comfortable, um, you know, doing that. So um, it worked out for me. Um, so I went to Fairfield University uh, in Connecticut, which was about a 20 minute drive um, from my house. Um, and I didn't do that on purpose. I, you know, I could have gone anywhere in the country, but it just so happened that uh, they were a division one program. Um, they had a really good business school that I was really interested in. Um, and, you know, they had just the kind of the size of school that I wanted to be at. I think they're about 3000 undergrad. Um, so, you know, small enough where I could, you know, really get to know a lot of my classmates and my teammates. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the perfect fit for me. Um, and then when my college uh, playing was over or actually during my junior uh, year, my the spring semester, uh, I was lucky enough to do a study abroad uh, semester in Galway, uh, Ireland. Um, so I got to play with a team over there uh, as an amateur. Um, so in the League of Ireland, second division. Um, and doing that gave me something that was totally different than most other college kids, because usually your spring season is kind of a throwaway. You know, you only play four games. Um, you're not really able to train that much. And it's really, you know, I told my coach, I was like, you know, I want to go over actually, I didn't pose it as a question. I was just like, I'm going to Ireland. I'm going to play there. 
Um, I hope that's okay with you. If it's not, then, you know, obviously let me know. Um, and I think at first he thought I was, you know, going to quit the team or something. And then he was like, Oh no, like, that's great. Like, you know, I'm sure it'll be a great experience. Um, so I went over there, um, until my visa expired, came back, finished my senior year. Um, and then when my senior year was over, I went over to Germany to play for a year. Um, one of my friends, uh, Jake Keegan, who's playing in the new USL league one, uh, now he had gone overseas after his college uh, career. And he was like, Hey man, this is a, a team that you should look at. They're, they're a fifth division team. And it's not, you know, it's not fully professional, but they can kind of help you springboard to, you know, playing full on professionally, if that's what you want to do. Um, so I did that. And when I was over, uh, in Germany, I was working with a youth team in uh, Connecticut um, that Tiffany Weimer, who does the duct tig uh, trainer, she's one of my really good friends. Um, she uh, and a few other professional players had formed a club in Connecticut and they wanted me to be involved in it because they really liked, you know, at the time I, I didn't have any coaching licenses, but they were like, hey, like we'd really like you to be involved, even if you're can't be there physically. Um, so during my senior year of college, I was there physically coaching. Um, we had a team that actually won state cup. Um, and I think we were regional finalists. Um, and that was a very, very good team. And then, so the next year when I was in Germany, um, I was still working with the club, but obviously remotely. Um, so I was helping them do these wellness questionnaires for the players, um, that we'd send out through survey monkey. Um, and the players would fill them out. I'd put them in the Excel sheet and send a report to the coach um and say hey these are some of the players that you should you know be careful of for for injuries these are some of the players that you can push a little bit harder um and it was a really good system for them because they they won state cup again uh the next season um and as i was you know going through this and spending all this time you know to put these spreadsheets together um i was like man i can't be the only coach that's doing this you know there's got to be other coaches out there that want something really simple that they can implement with their team and, you know, get, you know, just the, the right information. I don't need GPS. I don't need heart rate. I just need to know how are they feeling and is the session intense? You know, do I meet my objective? Um, and I, so I, I thought I have two options here. I can either pay someone to build this, um, which is going to cost me, you know, 30, $40,000. Um, and I don't even know if it's going to work or I can try and learn how to do it myself. Um, and being like the, the hands-on kind of person that I am, I was like, you know, let me, let me give this a go. Let me see if I can build it. So I paid for a $20 online class through Udemy. Um, they have some really actually great courses for other things other than coding. Um, but the course I took, um, they were building a, an app that was very similar to what I wanted to do. Uh, it was a messenger, but the way the data was structured and the way it was displayed was very similar to what I wanted. Um, so I was like, okay, let me give this a go. Um, and so over a six month period, I built out this iOS, you know, prototype and I sent it to some of my friends and I said, Hey guys, can you check this out? Use it with your team, you know, tell them, or, you know, tell me what you think, give me some feedback. Um, and it was overwhelmingly positive from the other coaches that used it. They were like, this is great. Like we would love to implement this full time with our teams. Um, we just need an Android version as well, because at the time it was only in an iPhone uh, app. Uh, so I was like, okay, you know, now that I know this is probably going to work, you know, these guys love it. So let me invest some money into this and see if we can get this off the ground. Uh, so I paid uh, a developer to build the Android version. Um, and I think 
that was in the summer of 2017 uh, was the first time that both the iPhone and the Android version uh, were available to coaches. Um, and that's where it kind of, you know, kicked off and it's kind of, you know, picked up steam since then with the, the teams that have just kind of found it through social media. Um, so there's four MLS teams that use it right now um, with their academy teams. And we have Shamrock Rovers actually just signed up their first team and their U19 team. Um, and we have a bunch of, you know, second division, third division um, professional teams in the U.S. that are using it and, you know, colleges, high schools, um, a lot of, you know, smaller teams that wouldn't be able to afford, you know, these these GPS and heart rate monitors. They're using this app because it's exactly what they need and it gives them the information that they want. I've uh, <clears throat> often told folks that uh, the coaching or uh, managing a group of players is this you know, weird dance that is an art and a science, right? And yeah. uh, you need the art in terms of how to communicate with people, how to build relationships, how to, you know, get into this psychology of, you know, human interaction, right? Mm -hmm. extremely, extremely important. But you also need data and you need the science piece, especially when it comes to, you know, injury prevention or, you know, I like what you said earlier, Matt, about sort of, you know, knowing when to push a player uh, a little bit harder in training and maybe um, expand on a little bit in terms of what, you know, intel, I guess is the word I would use that you are able to provide to clubs or coaches, you know, from the app. Right. So it's it's fairly simple. It's just a questionnaire, um, a skill one to ten players will, you know, say how they're feeling. Uh, typically in the morning. So they'll say on a scale of one to 10, my soreness, fatigue, stress, sleep, uh, and mood is, you know, a seven, a five, you know, whatever it is. Um, and that, uh, that report that they're submitting, it's always preset from the prior day. So they're saying in relation to yesterday, this is how I'm uh, feeling today. And then with that information, uh, the app assigns a readiness score to the, the player. Um, and it's really just the aggregate of all those, uh, those numbers. Um, and you know, what's important, I think that people miss is that the, the body is connected everywhere. You know, your, your psycho, your, uh, your mental, uh, state at the time, you know, how your, what other stressors are involved in your life. Um, and then the physical, you know, anatomy, you know, your fatigue and your soreness, they're all connected. Um, so, you know, when, when something breaks down in your life, you know, like a relationship or, you know, or you do get a muscle pull or something like that, um, it throws everything else out of balance. Um, you know, so the idea was to just give that information in the cheapest form possible. You know, you don't need hardware. You don't need, you're just, you're really just asking the player. Um, and it's a more convenient way to do it where they, you know, if there's something embarrassing that's happening, um, you know, they don't have to say it to your face. They can, you know, put it in anonymous or not anonymously, but they can put it in through the app and then you can follow up and have a conversation uh, with them. And one of the stories that I've told clubs that use this is so the, the Denmark youth national team, um, they're using it with their U18s and their U16s uh, and I believe their U15s. Uh, and they had a player last year who um, he was having a lot of uh, home issues and they didn't know about it until they actually started using the app and they had to actually make some serious adjustments for the player. Um, and they would have never known about, you know, that stuff if he didn't, you know, kind of indicate it, uh, you know, through the app. Um, so the app is really, it's just a mechanism to make, you know, collecting, uh, you know, inform information and interactions with your players easier. 
um, and then gives it to you in a, in a format that makes sense. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to understand. It's really intuitive, um, you know, just to make it simple because if you're a coach and, you know, this is the, you have, you're not full-time coach, but you know, you, you have a job and, you know, you're working with two teams. You don't have time to go through and analyze, you know, the GPS data of the player from the prior session. You just want to know, okay, do I need to take it a little bit easier on him today? Maybe I make him a neutral player in training. Um, maybe I make him a target player instead of him having to perform defensive and attacking uh, actions, um, which is obviously going to reduce the training load for that player. So it's, you know, it's really just a mechanism for coaches to make their lives easier. I would think that the, uh, the reliability of the information has to be pretty high. Uh, and I say that because, you know, just based on my own experience that, you know, sort of that self-disclosure, right? That um, I'm going to rate what I think I am. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it might be slightly off, but I would say generally speaking, you know, again, guessing here, but uh, I bet that the, the information that coaches and teams get is highly reliable because, I don't know, I, I just, I mean, why would a player, you know, sort of, I mean, unless they're, you know, maybe trying to get around an injury or something like that, but. Right. I mean, and I, I've, I've actually had that conversation with coaches where they, this is, it's very rare, but I've had coaches who say, well, you know, uh, how do I know my players are going to be honest with the app? You know, what if they just lie? And my response is, well, you know, that's down to your culture of your team. You know, if, if you think that your players need to lie to you to get a certain outcome, then what does that say about, you know, the culture that you've created within that team? And, you know, it should be an environment where I, I can be honest with you and not worry about it, you know, really negatively impacting my playing time. You know, unless, you know, if you're going to do something that, like that, which I've told coaches, uh, I've said, you know, you have to, you can't just, you know, cut down their minutes because then they'll never be honest with you again through the app. You know, you actually have to then have a conversation with them and be like, hey, you know, what's going on? Uh, and then explain to them the steps that you're going to take to make sure that you get them back towards 100%. Um, you know, because if you don't have that conversation, then it, a, a player is just reflexively going to be like, well, I'm not going to be honest again, because the last time I was, I didn't get to play in the big game that I wanted to play in. Um, you know, so it, it, it's the reason I keep stressing that it's just a mechanism is if you don't have the follow up conversation with the player, it's not going to get you the outcome that you are looking for on the field and the relationship that you have with the player. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think you nailed it because, uh, yeah, I mean, what does it say about the culture, right? If there's uh, sort of the secrecy or, um, I don't know, willingness for players to maybe uh, mask or not be as you know authentic or as honest as they need to be with a coach. I mean, you know, uh, my myself and my coaching partner at the academy level, I mean, we predicate everything we do on trust and honesty and transparency and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, no blind spots has become one of my favorite sayings because, uh you know, in, in that, you know, it's a little different at the academy level just because it's pro that's probably more geared to the parents than it is the players. But still, yeah. I mean, we're all in this together uh, in terms of, you know, wanting what's best for the player and, and for the team and for the club. So um, make a make a slight turn. Uh, we'll, we'll call it a Cruyff turn. How about that? <laughs> a, a soccer podcast. I like that. Uh, I, I was going back through your Twitter timeline and um, – Number of good tweets, by the way, for anybody listening to this. So we'll uh, make sure you give Matt a follow when this is all done. But um, so I, there's a tweet from January 3rd that um, 
And I, it stuck out to me because I think I either retweeted it or I liked it. And uh, I, I wrote it down because I, I wanted to ask you about it. And it says something to the effect of uh, soccer is not an endurance sport. Soccer is a maximum intensity and then in parentheses interaction sport. Mm -hmm. uh, don't train your players to be a distance runner or a technical robot. And yeah. um, I don't know. I, I really like that uh, because I think sometimes coaches that I've seen, um, they get that wrong. And I think where you're coming at it from, I think really, I don't know, uh, philosophically really aligns sort of with my thinking. And I don't know, just maybe expand on that uh, a little bit and kind of what maybe inspired, uh, you know, that tweet that day. What, what inspired my tweets? Um, <laughs> Deep thoughts really, with uh, Coach Matt. That, that's a really good question because sometimes I'll just be driving and I'll be like, oh man, that's a really good you know tweet. And then you got to find the right emoji to put in it because it's weird. Like if you don't have a tweet that has some type of graphic in it, it just, no one interacts with it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what it is. It's got to have like a GIF or something that just like is colorful, but uh it's weird because even like a lot of broad sweeping general generalization tweets, they get a lot of retweets too and interactions and stuff. And, you know, I, you know, Raymond Verheijen is the, he's the, uh, a pro at just tweeting something out to get a rise out of people mm -hmm. and people interact with it. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's viral. Even like, I think a lot of times he doesn't mean to, uh, say things to piss people off, but he knows if he does that the tweet is going to get more interactions than, uh, if you don't, um, but with that one specifically, um, there's, there's been a whole debate on, uh, you know, uh, opposed versus unopposed training. And then, you know, I, I know when I was playing, you know, we would do a lot of distance runs. Um, and I think what gets lost in all of it is that you have a very finite amount of time to work with your team. And a lot of the stuff that I've seen coaches do, um, like technically, if you're not doing it in the warm up, like if you're doing just a technical exercise, uh, unless you're training, you know, three and four times a week and you have that, you know, all that time with those players and you can afford to waste some of it, um, unless there's some type of de decision involved in the technical work, then I feel like it's a wasted opportunity because that's stuff that kids should be doing away from training. Um, and I'm going to give a nice little uh, plug here to the Beast Mode Soccer or the Techni app um, from AIL that, you know, that's stuff that they need to be doing on the days when they're not training you know, that type of technical work where they can just literally do it over and over and over with a wall or whatever it is. And just, you know, when it comes to the game, you know, they, they just do it without thinking. That doesn't mean that you, you know, then take your training time, which is very valuable and, you know, do technical training when you only have an hour with the team, you know, it's just a waste of time because in that time, you have, you know, 15, 16 players, you should be working on the interactions between players, the cues, the things that they're not going to be able to replicate when they're away from training. Um, because unless they're playing pickup a lot, um, which, you know, Tiff and I swear by, and Tiff actually got me really into pickup when I got to college because I realized I wasn't able to make quick decisions. And I was, you know, I'm doing all this technical work, but I couldn't, you know, instinctively know, you know, two or three or four seconds ahead what I was going to do and pick up, you know, when you're playing kind of street pickup that really requires you to do that. Um, so I think a lot of times coaches, you know, we just, you know, it, unless you're showing, uh, you know, the players that this is what you should be doing away from training and you just do it once, like, fair enough, like, that's fine. I have no issues with that. But I think when you have all your players together, 
you need to train the interactions. You need to train, okay, well, if I make a run here and I open up this space for you, then you need to run into that. And you're, they're never going to be able to learn that, you know, with just a ball and a wall. Conversely, if they can't pass the ball against the wall, it doesn't matter if they recognize the space, then they're never going to be able to play the pass anyways, because they don't have the technique to do it. Um, and the, the endurance part of it is in soccer, you know, there's no, it's not a one speed sport. And I see like, not not so much anymore, but like we used to do like 800 meter runs and we do like the two mile test in college, um, you know, for VO2 max. But even when you're doing, you know, a test like that, the coaches never really looked back at the VO2 max and they were like, okay, this is where he is. This is how we're going to customize his training moving forward. It was really just to make sure like you, you know, weren't sitting on your butt all summer. You know, it was just to make sure that you had actually done some stuff. Um, and I, I think it's very rare that you see coaches actually use the data from their in their fitness tests and, and you know use it in a way where you know they're like okay well you know she only got to level 30 on the beep test we're gonna you know adjust her training like this i think it's really just used as a, a mechanism to you know make people actually move around um yeah so that that tweet was very multi-layered you know trying to hit at you know a whole bunch of things that i see as you know issues in the in the youth soccer and the college soccer you know world it's it drives me nuts sometimes. Some of the some of the things that I see, you know, going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I, no, I, I I love that, and I think the um, yeah, I mean, I think you you nailed it there. Um, so uh, go back to your playing days uh, in college, and I was reading something earlier that uh, you know said something to the effect of I think you said you'd play two games uh, your freshman year at Fairfield, yeah, and. Um, you know, so you're at that fork in the road, right? Where, you know, option one is, you know, continue down the path you're on or option two is, you know what? I got knocked down. Um, I'm going to get better and I'm going to do whatever I can and prove to the coach that, um, you know, I'm a good choice uh, when it comes to match day. And uh, tell folks a little bit about, you know, this sort of, uh, you know, very workmanlike and very, I don't know uh, because I, I think the story could have ended very differently, Matt, in terms of, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a crossroads there and I think you made the right choice. Um, but tell people what you did and sort of, you know, kind of how you worked through that little bit of adversity uh, in your playing days. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think honestly it goes back to my family um, because my, so my grandmother grew up during the great depression. So she's actually, she's like 95 I think she's going to be 96 this year. Um, and so she, uh, she lived in Italy. She came over to the U S when she was five. Um, and she literally had nothing. Um, she had like, you know, a few dollars in her pocket and she, um, and her family worked on a gas station, uh, in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Um, and literally, you know, worked, you know, every day to make sure that they could provide for their family. You know, she was working at like 12 years old. Um, and I think that type of, uh, in the same on my dad's side, actually, my dad is one of 11 kids. Um, he was, uh, I think only the first or second, uh, he's, he's the ninth out of the 11 in terms of when he was born. Um, but he, I think was either the first or second to actually go to college. Um, and everything he had his entire life was hand-me-downs. Um, you know, so 
that kind of uh, mentality, I think I, I've just been brought up in the type of environment where it's, you know, if, if something isn't going your way, you know, you just work harder and not just harder, but smarter. You're like, okay, well, this is what I need to do. I come up with a plan and, you know, let's get it done. Um, so when I played in the development academy, I was playing, you know, pretty much every, every game, uh, you know, bar a, a game here and there when they rotated the team. Uh, and then I get to college and, um, you know, actually playing really well in training. Like there was, there was a, a few weeks where the coach was like, Hey, you know, uh, my roommate at the time was his name was Matteo, uh, and he was this little Italian kid, and he's actually the best man in my wedding coming up. Um, and the coach, you know, he picked us out, and he was like, "Hey, like, you know, you guys need to be careful because Matt and Matteo are—they've had the best week of training that of anyone so far this year, and you know, they're going to take your your spots." You know, we were like, "Okay, like that's great that he he said that," and then it that was like halfway through the season, uh, and then we both ended up only playing uh, two games. Uh, so in the winter, I was like, okay, well, you know, what am I, I went to the coaches. I was like, what do I need to work on? What, what's going to get me more playing time? And they were like, you know, you need to work on, you know, as an outside back being comfortable receiving the ball on your back foot and being able to play forward and just, you know, making that really clean um, and just being more comfortable on the ball. So I was like, okay. Um, and at the time I actually read uh, Tim Tebow had a book out. This is back. I think when he was, I, I don't remember if he was still at Florida um, or if he he was drafted to the Broncos at this time, but uh, he had a book um, which is a really really good read, um, and he talked about you know how hard he worked on his game. Like he was he he knew that was the one thing he could, could control was being the hardest working player in the room. And I was like, okay, well you know if he can do that, then you know I think I can do it too. Um, so I came up with this crazy plan that I was going to wake up at I think it was like five o'clock in the morning every weekday from January until May. Uh, and I was going to go to a local turf field that didn't really have any light. Um, it had like a, uh, it, it, not like a, like one of those stadium lights, but one of those little street lights that was kind of near the turf and there was a little wall there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go there and I'm going to work with the ball for, you know, 50, 55 minutes every morning, whether I have training weights, whatever it is later. Um, and it was a little crazy. I, I don't think at the time, like if I was to do it again, I probably wouldn't do it in the same way that I did because it was a little, it was a little crazy. And Matteo ended up hating me for it because I would actually, I would eat, I would eat breakfast before I would go. And you, I was, I was eating Cheerios and you know, he's trying to sleep. He doesn't have class till like 10. And there I am like with a little light on, like eating Cheerios at like five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, and then I go out and I, you know, work with the ball and I come back and then I would shower and I would have a class at like eight o'clock that I had to go to. Um, and I did that every day during the spring and it was, it was insane. It got to the point where at the end of the spring I had mono, um, and I'm, I'm 99% sure the reason I got mono is because I just literally wore my body down to the point where, uh, I, you know, my body was like, okay, stop. Like you need to take a break. Like you're being, you're being crazy. Um, but in the, the time, you know, before that, uh, in like training and games, I probably had the best spring on the ball, um, that I ever did. Like I was doing things that I was never comfortable doing before. Um, and it, everything just felt really, you know, natural. And, you know, it, obviously again, if I was to do it over, I would not be, you know, waking up the day of a game and doing technical training for an hour. Like that's just stupid. Like you shouldn't do that. Don't do it on the day of the game. Um, but at the same time, like that kind of built me a foundation, I think. And then moving forward. So in the, in the fall, um, I played, uh, played, I think almost every game. Um, 
for a team that we ended up going unbeaten in our conference and we made the NCAA tournament. Um, and then we ended up making the front page of the NCAA website because we lost to Brown three, two, and we were two nil up with like 15 minutes left. Uh, and you know, they scored three. And so of course they stuck us up there. Uh, but it was the best season that we had had in, in school history. Um, and I think, you know, being a crazy person and doing that all through the spring, um, you know, it, it just, I, it gave me a belief too. I was like, Hey, like, this is something where I could have quit. Um, and my roommate actually did end up quitting. And, and so did two other players that were in my class. Um, they ended up, they were just like, no, nah, this isn't for us. Like, you know, we, we have other things that we want to pursue. Um, uh, but I was the type of person that I was like, I just want to work through this. And I'm so glad that I did. Um, and didn't quit because the, I think once you quit, it just becomes a habit and you're like, okay, well, if something, something gets tough, I'm just going to give up, you know? And you know, that's just not in my blood. You know, I think you can adapt and, and, and change, but I don't think, I don't think quitting is ever the answer. So yeah, long story short, it was a, it was a crazy, uh, period of time, but you know, I, I think it was really, really, uh, helpful to me. And it showed myself too, that, you know, if there's something that I wanted to accomplish, uh, I could do it. Something that I've been asking guests lately, um, and it it speaks exactly to just what you just mentioned, Matt. Because so is is grit uh, and determination something that we as people or humans are wired with, or is it something that you know you feel is taught or sort of learned, you know, almost like a behavior? Um, I, and I'm curious. You know, uh, because I, I love what you said about your grandma there. Um, and I too had a very, I would just call her a very tough, I mean, both of my grandmothers and they're, they're both deceased now, but, uh, man, both of them were just tough as nails. And yeah. I, I admired that about both of them and they they couldn't have been more different as people. Uh, one, even though she was as tough as nails was sweet and kind and, just a fabulous human being and had a big part in my childhood. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> the other grandma was just as tough as nails and <laughs> she wasn't yeah. exactly warm and fuzzy. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm curious, I mean, do you think grit is, uh, you know, sort of something that we're born with or, um, you know, do we learn it over time or maybe a combination of both? Ooh. Um, I think on, I think, it, I think you're a product of your environment. Um, but I think you always have the choice. Um, so like you can, so with my parents' choices, I, I was brought up in a very fortunate, uh, environment. So, you know, I was able to go to private school. Um, I chose Fairfield because it was the most cost effective, but I could have probably chosen to go anywhere. My parents would have made it happen. Um, so I didn't grow up in the environment that they experienced, you know, I, so I, you know, I wasn't, you know, begging for table scraps and, um, you know, anything like that. I didn't grow up in poverty. They had experienced it. And I think they taught me, uh, even though I had everything I ever wanted to, you know, work hard, to be appreciative, um, to not take things for granted. Um, but obviously I could have had the, I could have made the choice to be like, mom and dad, you know, I need, I need this car, you know, make it happen. And they probably would have done it. Um, but I, you know, I don't think that, uh, that that's, you know, it's not who I am as a person. Um, and I think, you know, you learn obviously from your environment, but I think you always have the choice to, uh, to, you know, do I want to work hard for something or do I want, you know, to take the easy way out? And so even like with the app, um, you know, I had the choice. I probably could have gone to my dad and been like, dad, I need $50,000 to get someone to build this app. And I could have, you know, that would have been a lot easier than, 
literally struggling to learn and do something that's really frustrating, you know, trying to code um, something I'd never done before. Um, and I'm not even good with languages. You know, I think people have said like, oh, if you're good at a language, like, you know, coding is just another language. I'm like, well, I'm terrible at languages. I, I can't memorize to save my life. So, uh, you know, coding is really going to be a challenge. Um, but, you know, I, I was like, no, like I, I need to do this. Like, this is important. I'm not going to ask for help, you know, definitely not financial help because I want to, I want to make it happen myself. Um, so I, to answer your question, I think it's both. I think you are a product of your environment, but you always have the choice to, you know, if you want to take the easy route or, you know, if you want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and, and be a crazy person like me, um, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a combination of the two. Well, I was going to say, uh, yeah, for any of us, I mean, sitting on our hands and, uh, you know, kind of watching the paint dry or watching the day go by, I mean, you have to get after it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you, sure. you know, I mean, even on the days where it sucks, right. I mean, you just, you have to get after it and, you know, uh, I haven't told many of the story, but, um, I was driving into work on Thursday or Friday of last week and got a text from uh, my college roommate and one of my best friends. And he had said that, uh, you know, a mutual friend of ours that we grew up with that his dad unexpectedly passed away. And, you know, it's, I mean, it just sort of threw me for a tailspin and, yeah. You know, the last couple of days have been just sort of this mental, you know, sort of digging deep and having gone to a funeral yesterday and the funeral home over the weekend. And mm. I don't know, man, it's uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, a combination of circumstances, but also, you know, people's sort of DNA of, um, you know, because I've seen people crumble and, you know, I'm sure you have, too, yeah. where yeah. they just don't have that voice in their head that sort of keeps them going you know, in the tough times. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I, yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, time is definitely a crucial part of it because if you, you got to recognize you have a, a very limited amount of time to do the things that you do. And that doesn't mean like, you know, if I'm really dead that I don't take a day off, you know, because if I run myself into the ground, then I'm, I'm no use going forward, then I'm not being productive. But, you know, you do have to have that little, you know, clock that's like, Hey, you know, you got to get after it because pretty soon that window is going to close. And, you know, you're, you're going to be left with what you accomplished and you're either satisfied with it or you're not. Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, it's unless he, I was watching a Ted talk and it was, uh, they were talking about procrastinators um, mm -hmm. and they talk about, I don't know if you've seen that Ted talk, but I'll, I'll see if I can find it and send it to you. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, there's the guy, I uh, forget what his name was, but he calls it, he is like, it, there's the gratification monkey the instant gratification monkey says that everyone has in their head and it's like, okay, I need to do this. Like, yeah, but you could watch all these YouTube videos of, you know, people from the 1950s doing, you know, this and until you have this panic monster, which is like a deadline or, you know, something that you have to get done comes in and it's like, no, like you need to, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to accomplish. And that makes the, the instant gratification monkey go away. And I'm doing a terrible job describing it, but it's one of the funnier Ted talks that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, you know, it speaks to that perfectly It's like, you know, in life, you don't have a deadline technically. I mean, unless you, when you have a job and you know, you have a boss, but you don't have a, a time that's like, Hey, you need to be a, a coach in the top division in Spain by, you know, 35, you don't have that, you don't have that deadline. And I think for some people without that deadline in just their life in general, it's hard to, you know, kick and get into motion because they're like, Oh, I got all this time. And then you look back and it's, it's done, you know? Well, I've. I mentioned to folks before that, uh, you know, uh, I wish I would have started my coaching journey sooner, but, but you started it, you started it. That's it, what's important. Exactly. And I, that's 
that's where I got to, Matt, in terms of realizing that, you know what, it doesn't matter. I mean, people who do crazy stuff like the Spartan race or, you know, Tough Mudder or run marathons or whatever the hell they do, you know, they, the important thing is they started and, yep. uh, yeah, I mean, going through the licensing and going through, um, different coaching education and, you know, kind of venturing into podcast land now. And, you know, in, in the funny thing is though, I, I think for me, it happened the way it was supposed to happen because if I would have done this, I don't know, 15 years sooner, 10 years sooner, however long sooner, 20 years sooner, yep. I, I would not have appreciated it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I just don't think the, I mean, my wife would call it an, an obsession, <laughs> but, uh, you know, sort of that, I mean, just wanting to know as much as I can about the game of soccer, whether that be technically, tactically, psychologically, you know, fitness wise, I mean, whatever. I, I mean, I can't get enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's, and I'm a much more, you know, I guess I compare it to when I went to graduate school, I was a much better student in graduate school than I was as an undergrad because mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't give a shit as an undergrad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. You know, I, I did what I had to, I got by, I made the grades, I showed up, whatever, great. But when I got into a master's program and, you know, I actually was studying something that I really enjoyed, I'm like, oh my God, I can't get enough of this. And I feel like the same about the game of soccer that, um, you know, it's that thing in my life that I think I was searching for for such a long time. And, you know, I, I played other sports. I played basketball. I played American football, um, played baseball, you know, whatever. But while they were fun and I enjoyed them, it just never like was that thing that I'm like, oh yeah, you know, as I get into my mid thirties, I can see myself still doing this or still being a part of that. Like it was a very specific period of time. You know what I mean? Whereas this now is like, even if my son doesn't continue playing or if my daughters don't continue playing or, you know, start playing or whatever, yeah, I see myself still being a soccer coach. <laughs> it's not, That's, you know, it's not going away. Yeah. The, uh, I think the, that insatiable kind of, that's when you know you've kind of found the right thing is because even when you, it's, it's really good. Like you can't get enough of it. You need to do more. It's like, uh, I'm a huge Patriots fan. Uh, so like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, and when they asked Tom Brady what his favorite ring is, and he's always like the next one is my favorite, the next one. And, and, and that's a guy who's, you know, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And he, you know, I grew up watching him. Like I was like 10 years old and Drew Bledsoe got hurt. And you know, I've literally watched Tom Brady go through his entire career um, and I just love that feeling of like, even after you win, it's like you move on to the next one. I think even when I was in college too, like the, the team in the, in the, my sophomore year that won the conference and did really well, we like, as a team, we didn't have that. We didn't have that. Like, okay, like we want to go get the next one. Like it was like, because we won it and we were unbeaten. It was like, ah, well, you know, we did it. Like we're done. And then we didn't win it the next year. We didn't even make the conference tournament the next two years. Um, and it's like, if you don't have that collective kind of like everyone is like driving to push on and get after the next thing, then it it might just be a flash in the pan or you're, you know, you're one and done. And, you know, that's what makes, I think the really great, like whatever they are, artists, you know, uh, coaches, athletes, they just, they just, even when they're at their peak, they just want to keep going. They just Mm -hmm. can't stop. Why? I was going to say, I remember Michael Jordan uh, as a kid, um, very similar to Brady in terms of that mindset. And, um, you know, this sort of, uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as say underdog mentality, but this mindset that, um, 
you know, even though, even though they've been to the top of the mountain and they've are arguably the best ever in their sports that they have this internal fuel that is different. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, I mean to the, you know, Jordan and Brady are I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, even as a Steelers fan, it's hard for me to say that, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's funny how they're able to, even though they are the best, like the Patriots were talking about how they're the underdogs this year. And I'm like, you guys aren't underdogs. Like you're the the Patriots. You've won, you know, six champions. Like, how can you say that? But like, they, they literally think that that is their culture. And it's, it's crazy how they're able year after year, even after they win all this and you're the, the best, you know, football team in the country that they still think, you know, they have something to prove. Like that's, that's pretty impressive. And it's like even Real Madrid, you know, in, in the champions league, just winning it year after year, the last, you know, five years, which is, it's crazy. Messi and, and Cristiano, you know, scoring goal after goal. And they always want the next one. You know, that's, that's, it's, it's impressive. And it's, you know, that's when, you know, you found the right thing is, you know, you yeah. can't, you can never scratch that itch. It's always there and you always want to get after it. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and I think that's a, a great segue. So what are you like as a coach? Ooh, uh, like personality, playing style? Um, any of the above? Oh, let's see. I mean, uh, my favorite team to watch of all time was the, I think it was Barcelona in 2008. Because um, they actually, they beat Manchester United twice um, in the Champions League final. I can't remember. I think it was back-to-back years. Um, and that kind of like, Three four three, where you have, or not three four three. It was a four three three, and they we actually we wanted to coach the girls can players, so Tiff's Tiff's club that they had founded. We wanted to coach those players in that model, like so we actually showed them video. And I know like it's an old cliche, oh you know, teach your team to play like Barcelona in five easy steps. Um, but we actually, so what we would do at training, we trained trained at Yale University, and we would go through video with them and then with what we wanted it to look like. So we gave them the ultimate ideal, which was, you know, Barcelona in, you know, 2008, 2009 and broke it down for them. And then we'd go out and train it. Um, and you know, I, I'm the type of coach where I, I want to be a perfectionist, but I, I don't want the players to be perfectionists. So, because if you do, then you're not going to try, you know, uh, you know, risky passes, you're always just going to want to keep the ball and you'll just be one of those teams that, you know, which bore me to bits. Like, I think it was Louis Van Hall at United. He was, he had so much possession, like so much, and they just never scored. And it was brutal to watch. And I was like, I do not want my teams to play like that. There has to be some incision in the final third. There has to be some cutting edge. Um, they, and they have to enjoy it too, because if you're not, if not enjoying it, and that doesn't mean that everything's, you know, like laughy, jokey, you know, it means, you know, the players respect each other, they respect you, uh, and they respect the collective goal of what we're trying to do, which is continue to get better each day. Um, and that's fun. Like, it's fun to be successful. It's fun to work hard together and bust your butt, you know, with, you know, 11 other players that are doing it with you. That's fun. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the kind of coach I am. Um, you know, I, I always like to jump in and train with the group, um, as much as I can. So even with the Charlotte independence this year, I actually had to play in a couple of reserve games, uh, which was really fun. Um, and jump in and train with the guys, even if I hadn't warmed up. So I'm like, they're monitoring the players and all of a sudden someone goes down with an injury and I'm, you know, jumping in, I'm like trying not to tear my hamstring. Um, but you know, that's, I, I think as a, as a coach, you know, 
one of the reasons you become a coach is because when you can't play anymore, you, you still want to be involved in it. You know, you, you still want to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of what, that's my identity as a, as a coach. And I kind of, you know, it's, it's the, what I wish I had kind of played for. Not that I didn't have good coaches growing up, but like, it's like bits of like the best of all the coaches I had. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to be for myself and for the players that I work with. What was your uh, youth soccer experience like uh, growing up in Connecticut? Ooh, um, so I actually played travel soccer until I was under fourteen, which is like unheard of. Like no one, no one would ever do that and then go play Division One um, and then play overseas and get to play against like Eintracht Frankfurt. Like that would not happen uh, today because I, I think the landscapes changed too. But um, yeah, so I played travel soccer for my town until I was an under fourteen player. Then I played for a local premier team uh, in Bridgeport. Um, and then the next year I played for another local premier team. And then the following year I played for the development Academy team. Um, and then I went to college. So I was, I think I spent after I got to U14, I literally changed teams every year. And it wasn't because of the coaching or I was always trying to improve as a player. And I didn't do this on purpose, but like, I kind of like self promoted myself. So like if my team wasn't going to get promoted, like I just moved up to the next team like i'd try out for them i'd make the team and then the next year i'd work my butt off and i'd make the next team and then you know finally i got to you know play for the development academy team which got me in front of the, the fairfield u uh coaches but it was you know if i was to go back i would have been like dad like you should have started me at you know someplace else other than travel for under 14 but he was like oh well, you know you were with your friends and you enjoyed it um and you know i i probably wouldn't change it based on where i am now um, but I think that's where a lot of actually my technical deficiencies were was because I did play travel soccer up until U14. So I literally had to go back and rewrite my technical ability on the ball because I never had that. I never experienced that growing up. I just had the physical ability that, you know, I was able to to get away with that up until college. And then I wasn't able to get away with it anymore. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my experience. It was it was interesting, to say the least. When you uh, went abroad, um how did your game, how did you, how do you feel it translated? And I don't know, how did it maybe stretch you as a player um, playing against different, you know, competition and, you know, different countries and, you know, very uh, soccer football rich, you know, uh, environments. Uh, it was definitely the best decision that I ever made. Um, so doing the study abroad was that like, if, if I could tell any college player like listening or, you know, that has that option to go abroad in the spring and play for a team, like you just do it. Like there's no question that you, you have to do it. Um, and when I got there initially, the game felt really fast, but not in the physical sense, like, like mentally, like everything was, was way faster than what I had ever experienced. Um, and eventually when I came back that, uh, I think it was that June, uh, and I played PDL, which I, I hadn't made the, the PDL team. I tried out the previous two years and I hadn't made the team. And then this year I went back or that year I went back after having played in Ireland and I made it and was a starter for the whole season. And it was a lot of it was just because everything then I came home and everything felt slow. Like I see all these like people running, uh, you know, this way, that way. And my brain was just like, you know, you don't have to go there, stay in this space. This is where the space is. This is where the time is. It, whereas the, the old me would have just been running around like a headless chicken, you know, just thinking that I need to work hard and, and all that stuff. And going abroad made me, uh, it just made the game slow down when I came home. Um, and that was something that I never had. And that's something that I've actually tried to 
you know, when I talk to players, I'm like, you know, you're always looking for the space in possession. That's, that's one of like, like my mantras. So when I'm trying to play and I'm reciting things in my head, because otherwise, you know, you, you start to overthink the game, you know, you overcomplicate it, you start thinking, oh my gosh, it just made a mistake. So when I'm in possession of the ball, I was always thinking, where's the space? Where's the next space? Where's the pass? Where's the next pass? And then when I conversely, when I was defending, I was always thinking, okay, where's the next pass? You know, where am I going to have to adjust to based on the team in possession? Um, and that didn't actually even give me time to uh, worry about if I had made a mistake or if something was going wrong because I was always in the moment in the next five uh, seconds. So being in Ireland, like the weather up until May was terrible. Like it was like, it was 40 mile an hour winds. It was always raining. It was sleeting. It was like literally everything that you could not want to have to play. Um, and being in that mentality of, okay, you know, I'm thinking about this, not the weather. Um, that made it really easy when I came home. So if there's anyone listening to this that has that option to play abroad and you, you just do it, like it's not even a, a question, uh, definitely the best playing experience I ever had. I can only imagine, uh, you know, what that was like. That that sounds pretty, uh, pretty damn incredible. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's fantastic. Um, so a, a question that I ask uh, every guest that I interview, and uh, you can go whatever direction you want with this. Uh, so what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong when it comes to soccer in this country? Ooh, at what level do you? you can take just, it any way you want. In general, um, I think the participation level is great. I think you have, like, I don't buy the BS, oh, we lose our best players to other sports. Like, that's not, like, we're a country of 300 million people. That is not an issue. The issue is we, um, you know, we don't do a good job. There's no clear pathway for anyone. Um, it's like, you know, you had ODP and you had travel and you had premier and now you have the DA and then you have college, which is kind of like out there. And then now you have all these, you know, second and third division pro teams that are popping up. Um, and there's just no clear pathway for a player to be like, okay, I want to be a professional. How do I get there? It's like, I don't know. I don't know how to, to get you there. Like maybe you go to college. Um, I think there's, you know, a whole bunch needs to change. I think the college game needs to go full year um, because there's so many injuries in the fall. Cause you're, it's crazy. You're playing, you know, three games in a week sometimes. And it's like the body physiologically cannot recover in time. It's not possible. And, you know, if you spread out the season, you get more training in, you get more games, you're not cramming, you know, everything together. Um, I think that's that would be a huge step. And then I would say they need to make it not uh, only amateur. I think you should I think, you know, if, if college basketball and college football go the way of paying their players, I think that helps uh, NCAA soccer players, because then, you know, if you're that and it's a full year season, maybe you have colleges that partner with, uh, you know, professional teams and these guys can be loaned you know, up a level, you know, if they're ready instead of, you know, and you can always go back and finish your education later. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think what's, who, who's the president? It's uh what's his name? Uh, Carlos Cordero. Mm -hmm. um, he, he, I think he said one of his goals was increasing participation in the game. And I was like, that is not the issue. It's not the participation. It's, we can't get these kids from, you know, whenever they start playing in a, into a professional environment and the stakes are not high enough. You know, so until you have promotion and relegation, until you have, 
you know, solidarity payments and, you know, you give a real incentive to clubs to produce kids that they can potentially move for, you know, a million dollars, $2 million, then, you know, you're, we're just going to have the same kind of wreck thing that we have here in this U S where there's, you know, there's no incentives. I mean, they're incentives, but they're small. Like we really need to up the stakes, I think is, is, is where I'm going with this. And I think, I think the country's ready for it and has been ready for it. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it needs to happen. Like that's the next step for the U S it's not the, you know, it's not increasing the participation levels. It's, it's, you know, we need promotion relegation. We need to fix the college game because it's a huge issue and we need some actual pathways for these kids so they can play professionally and not just play professionally, but let's start producing some really, really good players because in a country of 300 million, you can't tell me that there's not, you know, a starting 11, that would be, that, you know, we should be a top four country in the world. Like there's no doubt it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of artificial barriers that have been put up that are, you know, holding players back. So that is, that's a really long winded answer, you know, cause there's a lot of components to it, but you know, participation, I think we hit, you know, nail on the head, um, especially on the female side, uh, but on the, on the men's side of it and on the women's side, as we get, you know, up towards the professional ranks, you know, there's got to be a clear pathway and we got to open up the pyramid. That's, I mean, that's the next step. I can only hope that, uh, in our lifetime that we see that. Um, and it's, man, it's so frustrating because I think everything you just said makes all the sense in the world and the, you know, the, the powers that be, um, for whatever reason, well, I, I think I know the reason, uh, <laughs> no. you know, the, the, the cause of and solution to all life's problems, Matt, is money. And, uh, no. you know, um, the, the fat cats are protected by the money. So, um, yeah, uh, man, I, I, just, oh, I, I agree with you. I think there is a, I'm going to get fired up here. Uh, <laughs> I, I think there is a, a part of our population here in the States that want exactly what you said. And mm -hmm. why in the hell we can't give it to them just blows my circuits. And, yeah. um, you know, something that I, uh, you know, we started our conversation talking about John in, in 343. And, you know, he had asked me that question of, you know, what do people need to know? And that, you know, I keep coming back to this idea that right now, everyone's soccer journey is just that. It is their journey. It's an individual experience. Yeah, you might play for a club. Yeah, you might play for a team. You might play for a college team, you know, whatever. But there isn't this, like you said, clear pathway that a player. So when my son says to me, Dad, I want to be a professional soccer player. Well, what do I what do I tell him? You know what I mean? Yeah. Do I say go to college? Maybe. Do I say, uh, you know, try to get into a DA academy? Maybe. Uh, yeah. You know, are you good enough maybe to to you know, get swept up and, and go to Europe. I mean, I, th <clears throat> I think now, you know, if, if that option were on the table and he was older and a teenager and, you know, could, could make that decision and we as a family could make that decision, that would probably be the direction that I ste would steer him. I would yeah. tell him, you know, why, why would you stay here? I mean, yeah. go abroad, get in with a professional club and see if you can work your way up to the first team. And, you know, kind of go that route. So the, uh, the, the, the one quote before I went to Ireland, cause I was a big reader of the alchemist. Um, and I think there's a quote in that book. It's an amazing book, but there's a quote that's, well, you can always come back. You know, if you, if you go over and it doesn't work out, you know, you always come back, you always have your family here. Mm -hmm. Um, but what you can never do, you can't go back in time. You know, that's, that's off the table. So, you know, you, you 
take the the plunge you go for it you know and if it doesn't work out then you know so what you know you you, you can still come back you could still go to college you know it's not it's not the end of the world but you you have a very small window if that's what you want to do you know so yeah you know, you, you have to go for it I, I i agree and i just think the uh i don't know i i mean the the culture the experience the playing against players that um you know, grew up in, in true footballing or, you know, soccer playing countries. I mean, I, I don't think you can put a price tag on that. And, no, uh, you can't. I mean, like when I was in Germany, I got to play against Eintracht Frankfurt and uh, yeah. I got to play against Timmy Chandler, who was in the national team. And I was like, this is so cool. Like th I'm never going to be able, I can tell my kids about this. Like this is, I'll, I'll never be able to, I can't put a price tag on this experience. Like this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Right. And you know, that's, that's the important part is, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's about the opportunity to do it. Yeah. Matt, if, uh, if folks want to connect with you and uh, learn more about Soccer Pulse, uh, how can they do that? Uh, so they can go onto uh, our website, which is www.soccerpulse.net. Um, and I have an email address on there. I have a, you know, my Twitter's on there. You know, I, I love getting DMs from people. I love, you know, people reaching out to me and, you know, asking me questions and, you know, setting up trials and stuff. So I'm very, uh, I, I try and respond within an hour of someone, you know, reaching out. So, you know, they can, they can check out the, the app. There's tutorials, videos, uh, examples of how to use it. Um, you know, all that good stuff is on there. As long as you uh, just, uh, you know, when folks DM you, as long as they say that, uh, you know, Manchester, Man Manchester is red and not blue, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, I, I appreciate Pep and I'll be honest, I hope I, I'll take City winning the league over Liverpool and it's not even like there's no debate in my in my mind. But if, if you <laughs> you message me and say anything about Liverpool, I, I may not respond for the first time ever. <laughs> Well, I, I was going to say, uh, people have asked me why I picked Everton is my, uh, you know, Premier League uh, squad that I follow. And uh, other than the American connection, and so that, that's what got me in the door with, you know, Tim Howard years ago and Landon Donovan and yeah. some of the other American players that have come through. And so, you know, I always tell people that it's... Uh, you know, not that I anticipate getting married a second time in my life, but you know, the, the first time is always for love. And then the second time is always for money. And, uh, <laughs> and that's Everton for me. It, I, it hooked me and, uh, man, I mean, talk about the, uh, the path of mediocrity, but, uh, uh still, uh, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I can appreciate Pep's uh, greatness and, you know, same with, uh, Sir Alex back in the day. And I mean, it's just put it this way. I, I, good football is good football and it doesn't matter who's playing it. I can appreciate it. And, you know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I mean, I, I like Klopp as a manager for Liverpool and, um, you know, uh, he's, uh, the crosstown rival, uh, you know, manager. So, uh, yeah, but I, I love how he conducts himself and, you know, what he's done there at Liverpool. So, yeah, he, uh, he seems like a good dude. Um, yeah. and I will say that I watched, uh, what is it all in on Amazon and, solely because i wanted to get to the the match where united beat city when they were two nil up and all the fans went home crying like i i literally watched everything just to get to that point i was like okay now i can turn it off because i'm just gonna <laughs> i'm just gonna pretend that united went on and won the league from that but no i mean even even if you don't like you know like a team i mean there's always something about 
you know, the personalities of the things they do that you can take from or, and learn and, and, and appreciate, you know, but you can root against them, you know, and still yeah. for your team. Well, I, I feel like I'm at a, a place in my life now where I literally could watch any soccer match that's on uh, male, female, doesn't matter the division, doesn't matter, you know, if it's college, if it's international, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I've wandered into some weird stuff on ESPN Plus, and I'm watching, yeah. you know, Australian league games, and I'm like, "What the hell am I watching right now? Why am I away doing this?" Because, yeah, uh, right. you know, it's just the the nature of the beast, I guess. But uh, Matt, I can't thank you enough for uh, for your time and, and coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast, and uh, just want to publicly wish you and uh, Soccer Pulse nothing but success going forward, man, and. Um, yeah, would love to have you back on sometime in the future. Jason, thank you so much for having me. This has been great. And, you know, let's definitely do this again. I have a special offer for listeners of this show. And if you are a super fan, you want to take advantage of this offer. So who doesn't want to be part of an exclusive club? I've started a private group for my listeners of this show on patreon.com slash on the touchline. Now there's limited space available. The first 24 listeners to sign up for this offer have a chance to be part of an exclusive question and answer session once a month with a guest from this show. You're going to want to act fast. $10 per month will get you access to this special event. Now think about it. That's more affordable than paying for a space to play pickup soccer. The benefit to you, you get to learn and interact with coaches, players, and influencers in the game in a smaller setting. And who doesn't like a little personal attention? Go to patreon.com slash on the touchline and learn more that's patreon.com slash on the touchline to learn more my sincerest thanks to matt danaher for being a guest on the on the touchline podcast and matt i wish you nothing but the best and soccer pulse uh continuing to grow and reach more and more clubs and players out there. So hope uh, this podcast helps elevate what you're doing. So great work. Hope to have you back on the show sometime in the future. So what did we learn in this episode? Something that I often think about and truly believe in that soccer or football is an art and a science. And the work that Matt is doing is sort of the marriage of those two things with the Soccer Pulse app. So if you're not familiar with that, uh, go to soccerpulse.net and learn a little bit more and reach out to Matt. I'm sure you could uh, test out the app and, and learn more that way. The second thing we learned is that the time you have with your team as a coach or as a player, that those interactions are important and that that time needs to be maximized to its fullest potential. And so if you're not doing that, finding ways to make your training sessions as meaningful as they possibly can. And I really like 
what Matt said about interactions and about player interactions with one another during this episode. And the last thing that we learned is that if you want something bad enough, you'll do whatever it takes. You know, looking back on it, Matt realized that, yes, he was pushing pushing himself incredibly hard during his collegiate days, but he also knew that if he wanted a spot in the first team, he would have to do whatever it takes to get there. And so he put the extra technical work in, he got up early, he really uh, worked his butt off to make that happen. And if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that hard work and being the hardest working person in the room is something that is very important to me as a coach, but is something that I want to pass on to you, the listeners of this show, whether you be a coach or a player. So before we go, a couple housekeeping items to close up shop. Uh, help me continue to grow this podcast. Listenership has continued to rise the three months that we have been available to you, the listener. And please, please, please tell friends, tell players, tell fellow coaches, anyone who loves the game of soccer about this podcast. This podcast exists to make the soccer world a little bit smaller and to allow you to connect with players, coaches, influencers in the game that you may or may not know and to find out about their story. So we want to keep doing that. And we want to keep growing. You can find us on Apple Podcast, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, among others. We're on 11 total podcasting platforms, all the big ones. And if you listen on Apple Podcast, go there right now. Leave a five-star rating and a review for the show. Continue to tell people what you like about this podcast. Way number two is sharing the show on social media. If there's a topic that you like, if there's a piece of the episode that you like, if you like a particular guest, please tell your friends. And don't be afraid to put it out on Twitter or Instagram or another social media platform. I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find me at SoccerCoachJB, and you can tag me at any time. And also feel free to give me a follow. I uh, would love to connect with you. And like I said, my whole goal for this podcast is to make the soccer world just a little bit smaller. All right. New episodes of this show are available every Wednesday and every Saturday. I'll catch you guys next time. This has been the On the Touchline podcast. And I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. <laughs>